Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. The book of Romans, as we continue looking at this book, uh, this letter written to the Roman Christians by the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 1. And tonight we want to look at what every Christian should be. Probably got that idea when you looked at the note sheet, right? In my life, I've been blessed by the Lord to have been in the company of some great men of God. I was thinking about this the other day, and I never, and I've told you this before, I never thought I'd, as a Kansas boy, I'd ever get out of the state of Kansas, let alone meet some of the great preachers that I've had the privilege to meet over the years. And these men, I kind of whittled it down to five men that uh, uh, probably had the greatest influence on my life. Uh, These are men who by the lives that they lived and the message that they preached and the motives from which they served the Lord made an indelible impression upon my life. In fact, I can honestly say I've learned more uh, from great men of God than I in any class that I've taken or any book that I've read or paper that I've written. Uh, I'm not against education, as you know. I was a teacher for 16 years and, uh, and still uh, feel like I'm in the teaching profession. But uh, I appreciate those who lived Jesus Christ in front of me and demonstrated to me the truth that regardless of what we do, our motives should be always pure. Now, these five men had an impression upon my life. Dr. Cedarholm uh, was a man who, uh, when I first met him, I, I met him at a meeting that he was preaching. He preached ten points on why I'm a fundamentalist. And so I think uh, that's probably what I learned from him the most, is about fundamentalism. And then uh, Dr. Richard Weeks uh, was a Baptist historian and uh, a professor of Baptist history, and I took his Baptist history class at school at Maranatha, and then also uh, he was a Sunday school teacher, an adult Sunday school teacher at Calvary Baptist Church in Watertown, and uh, he gave us some Baptist history in in Sunday school class. And so uh, probably under his leadership and his uh, teaching, um, I became a Baptist by conviction. And... uh, and I appreciate the, the ministry that he had. He was only about this tall. Well, he was just a short man, but man, he was a giant of a Christian. And it had a tremendous impact upon my life. And it was Dr. Frank Garlock who influenced me concerning Bible principles of music. And in fact, the, the hymn book that we sing out of was edited by him and put together by him. And many of the songs that we sing even there are by him uh, as well. And so I appreciate his ministry. And then there was uh, Dr. Bill, uh, Bill Wick, uh, Lincoln, William Lincoln. I ha- have a hard time calling him William because he was always Bill, uh, you know, Bill Lincoln or Pastor Lincoln. He was my pastor for almost 12 years. And I learned how to pastor from him. I hope I learned a little bit from him anyway. And uh, so I'm thankful for his influence. And then there was my friend Richard Akins, and he was a, a, a true friend. I learned a, a great deal about friendship 
with him. He and I sang together and preached together and and uh, uh, laughed together and prayed together and and uh, wept together over uh, over various things in our lives and our families' lives. So I'm thankful for men like this. I could name others, perhaps, and maybe you could come up with your own list. But uh, these men demonstrated to me lives uh, of great influence. Now, were they perfect men? No. Uh, did I, uh, do I look to them as, well, I'm going to be like him? Well, in a sense, yes, but not in the sense of even the Apostle Paul. I don't going to look to the Apostle Paul and say, well, I'm going to be just like Paul. In a lot of ways, we, we do need to be like them. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's the same way that I'm, I believe these men uh, uh, influenced my life. I tried to follow them as they followed Christ. Now, they made mistakes, uh, and uh, to be sure. But I'm thankful for these men. Some of them are with the Lord. Some of them are still, still kicking and uh, still ministering. And I appreciate uh, their influence in my life. Now... The Apostle Paul was kind of that man that can really influence people. Surely a man with his great influence and power in the early church faced temptation to do things with an improper motive. And yet uh, I can find no record of Paul misusing his authority or influence for personal gain or any other impure motive. We don't hear about it. Actually, every time I read about the Apostle Paul, I'm reminded that Paul was a living example to us of what a genuine Christian should be. And in the first seven verses of this chapter, Paul is introducing himself to the believers in Rome. He tells them about himself. Uh, He's the messenger. Uh, He's talking about his message, the gospel of grace. And now as we continue on, Paul turns the spotlight upon himself in kind of a very real way. Not in a proud, boastful way. But he's sharing with these people whom he had never met the motives behind the letter that he's sending to them. In uh, the first uh, uh, seven or eight verses here, the Apostle Paul is going to reveal nine traits. I didn't learn from Dr. Cedarholm very well, did I? I only have nine. He always had ten. Uh, I don't know how many messages I heard from him with that ten points. I mean chapel messages even in, at Maranatha. Ten points. Well, we're going to have nine tonight, okay? So I don't measure up to Dr. Cedarholm. <laughs> but we're going to look in no uncertain terms of what a Christian should be. And my duty is to share them with you. And as I do, I trust that you will allow the word of the Lord to speak to your heart. And for a few minutes that we have together, let's place ourselves alongside this great apostle. See how we measure up. Notice with me what every Christian should be. And I want you to just before we get into the first one here, I want you to notice as we begin looking at uh, these in verse beginning in verse 8, I want you to notice first I. I want you to notice the pronoun I. Was it a pronoun or an I of pride? No, it was an I of personal accountability. And you all have a, an eye of personal accountability as well. I do. And so that's what we see here. First of all, every Christian should be thankful. He says, first, I thank. 
I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. As Paul begins writing to the Romans about his motives, he tells them that he is thankful for them. Uh, There is none of the envy that would mark a lesser man. You see, Paul did not found this church. It was founded by someone else. Many men would have been jealous of the blessings that the Romans were enjoying, the Roman Christians. And you notice that these people were the talk of the entire world, according to Paul here. Everywhere Paul traveled, the people were talking about the Roman believers. Instead of being jealous, Paul was thankful. He could praise the Lord whether it was a part of his ministry or not. And every one of us could learn a lesson from this. I think that God would have his children be a thankful people. In fact, I know the thankful spirit is the Lord's will for every single one of us as believers. You just have to look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18 to see that. We would all do well to learn to be more thankful for the Lord's blessings in our lives. Now throughout the scriptures, thankfulness is emphasized. You find in Psalm 116 and verse 17, it's described as a spiritual sacrifice. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord, the psalmist says. It's a spiritual sacrifice, thankfulness. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, it's described as our duty. It's not only a spiritual sacrifice, but it's our duty. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. In Ephesians, and we won't read all these verses, but in Ephesians 1.16, it tells us of the thankfulness that should be unceasing. Ephesians 1.16. Ephesians 5.20. Our thankfulness is to be in Christ's name. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, it suggests that it is to be a spontaneous thing. Not something that we, uh, we're, we're forced, we feel like we're forced to do, but it's spontaneous. Because God loves us and because He's shown His love to us, uh, it, our hearts should overflow with thankfulness. And then, of course, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we're told that thankfulness is the will of God. Revelation 7.12, we're told of that it's the theme of heaven. It's the theme of heaven. You know, there is so much to be thankful for tonight. If we were just to stop the message here and go around the room, I wonder, uh, you know, how many times we could go around and everybody would be thankful for something. There's just so much to be thankful for. The goodness and the mercy of God. For the gift of Christ. For His power and His reign over our lives. For the reception and the effectual working of God's Word in others. For deliverance through Christ from sin. For victory from death and the grave. For wisdom and might. For the triumph of the gospel. For the conversion of others. For faith exhibited by others. For grace bestowed on others, for the zeal of others, for the nearness of God's presence, for the appointment to the ministry. You say, I'm not in the ministry. Oh, yes, you are. You know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. You're in the ministry. 
Now you may not get in front of people and, and preach messages and teach a class, but you're in the ministry. And you need to be thankful for that ministry that God's given to you. You took, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and you see that you have the ministry of reconciliation. Giving people the gospel so they can be reconciled to God. Be thankful for that. Be thankful for the supply of, of physical wants. Be thankful for all men, the Bible tells us. Be thankful for all things. Now many Christians, I don't believe, are very thankful this evening. How does one go about cultivating a thankful spirit? I think the real answer lies in placing Jesus Christ at the center of all that you do. And you know, again, we have the idea of putting God first in our life. I like to think of it being in the center of our life. That way everything around us is centered, is focused on Jesus Christ. If you make Him your sufficiency, then you'll always be satisfied. Now, on the other hand, if it takes material and physical blessings to make you thankful, then you're probably going to be a bit depressed and defeated. You see, the secret lies in being satisfied with Jesus. Now, there's another application here I'd like to mention before I move on to the next truth tonight. I believe that every Christian in every church should have the same testimony that the Roman Christians did. These people were known everywhere for their solid faith and lifestyles. The same should be true of Spooner Baptist Church. Every individual is a part of this church. Whether we're at home or on the job or at the market or anywhere, there should be that testimony that marks us as belonging to Jesus Christ. Every Christian should be thankful. Paul says, I thank Secondly, every Christian should be committed. Notice in verse 9, the first part he says, For God is my witness whom I serve. That's the key words right there. I serve. Whom I serve with my spirit. Paul tells the Romans that he is totally committed to the Lord. He's not boasting about it. He's not being prideful in any way. He's just stating that he is committed Because he serves. Every word he uttered, everything he wrote, every place he went, Paul was a living witness of total surrender. And explains the reason for his success. When nothing else matters in your life, but what matters to the Lord, his work will get done. I don't know where this message finds you tonight, but I know that this is an area where I can always find room to work. I want you to again notice that word serve. It's the same word that is translated worship in other parts of the New Testament. So it's my opinion that there is no greater form of worship than to, that can be rendered unto the Lord than a pure, heartfelt service and devotion to the Lord. There's certainly other aspects of worship, but... Uh, it's interesting that both words are the same word. Every Christian should be thankful. Every Christian should be committed. Is your life committed? should be. Thirdly, every Christian should be prayerful. 
Notice it continues on in verse 9, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. I pray. I pray. The apostles' ministry was primarily that of preaching the gospel. We see that in the first part of verse 9. And yet his secondary ministry was just as vital as the first. Paul had a ministry of prayer. That is, he made prayer a priority, and the Roman believers were never taken off of Paul's prayer list. Now, there's no record of what he prayed for on their behalf, but we can probably find the answer to that question in the prayers that he prayed for other believers, and you'll find a reference to that in the other epistles that he wrote. Paul was a man of prayer, and his praying wasn't selfish. It wasn't a give-me prayer. His prayer was on behalf of others. It was spiritual. It was on behalf of others instead of himself. And again, what a lesson for the church. How much of our praying is selfish in nature? Lord, help me. Lord, bless me and my family. Lord, meet my need. And these and other prayers like them are real examples of how guilty we are of praying most of the time. And yet, I think the Lord would have us to be engaged in a ministry of intercessory prayer. That is, I think God wants His children to be under a prayer burden for others. God would have you and me involved in a prayer ministry that touches the lives of other people. How would you describe your prayer life this evening? Who is the main topic of your prayer life? Is it you or others? It's an area where we can all improve. Every Christian should be thankful, I thank. Every Christian should be committed, I serve. Every Christian should be prayerful, I pray. And fourthly, every Christian should be surrendered. He says in verse 10, making request if by any means... Now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. He says, I come. He didn't stop with the prayer for others, but he also prayed that he might be an instrument of God in answering their prayers and that his prayer. His desire was to travel to Rome, but Paul was willing to surrender his will to the will of the Lord. This is repeated at other points in his ministry you find in Acts chapter 16. It seems to me that the apostle was willing to lay aside his own plan so that he might know and do the will of the Lord. I wonder, what is the Lord, Lord's will? Well, I know that the Lord's will tonight for every Christian is in this matter of surrender. He wants us to be willing to place His will ahead of ours. And I know for a fact that the Lord will come into your life and will change your agenda if you will surrender to Him. A heart like Paul's is a heart that the Lord can use for His glory because it is a heart like the one Jesus had. A heart that knows no higher goal than pleasing the Father at all times. And would to God that He would give us all a heart like that. Imagine what the Lord could do with a church filled with people who are totally sold out to the will of God instead of everything else that we make so important in our lives. 
Every Christian should be thankful. Every Christian should be committed. Every Christian should be prayerful. Every Christian should be surrendered. And then fifthly, every Christian should be usable. Should be usable. As Paul continues to reveal his heart to the Roman Christians, he tells them why he wishes to come to Rome. Verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. He says, I long. This reveals his heart to the Roman Christians. He tells them why he wishes he could come to Rome. He wants to share with them the gifts that God has given him. Now it's as if Paul is telling the Romans, God has blessed me with some special things and I want to come to Rome and I want to share them with you so that you might grow in the things of the Lord. And it tells us in no uncertain terms that Paul wanted to be usable to the Lord in his work. Now, Paul is not referring to actual gifts of the Spirit here. He says, I long to see that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. I can't impart to you a spiritual gift. Paul can give people a spiritual gift. Only the Spirit can give spiritual gifts in that sense. Okay? So he's not referring to the gifts of the Spirit. Neither is he referring to the gift of salvation. That only comes by faith. I can't give you the gift of salvation. I can tell you about it. I can give you the gospel. But you have to receive the gift from God, not from me. It's by faith in what Jesus has done for you. And so he's saying that he's willing to come to them and be used of the Lord as the Lord sees fit. He desires to offer his gift of help and encouragement. That was his gift. A gift of help and encouragement. Are you a help to people? Are you an encouragement to people? Those are wonderful gifts. Is as if the apostle is willing to be used by the Lord in any fashion, if it would just help them. In other words, Paul isn't saying that he wants to go there and take over. He just wants to go to Rome and be used of the Lord to be a blessing, to be an encouragement to them. And may I say that's a lofty goal, and it's the one that every Christian should try to achieve. There's a great need today for people in in churches and communities who are not primarily interested in their own agenda, but whose main goal is just to be usable of the Lord. And all they want to do is be a blessing to those around them. All they want to do is be an encouragement. Can you honestly say that your life is a vessel that God can use in that way to be a help and encouragement? Every Christian should be thankful. Every Christian should be committed. Every Christian should be prayerful. Every Christian should be surrendered. Every Christian should be usable. Number six, every Christian should be humble. Notice verse 12. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. 
He says, I comfort. Not only does he desire to be a blessing, but he knows that they will be a blessing to him. Notice that this man, with this man, it isn't all about Paul. He's just as aware of the things, uh, they have things to share with him as well. It's a shame when people get to the place where they think they've arrived and they cannot be helped by anybody else who isn't as mature in the Lord or as educated or as experienced as they are. All of us need to be reminded sometime. All of us need to be reminded quite often that we all have plenty of growing to do. Even Paul felt this when he wrote to the Philippian church. You see it in Philippians chapter 3. He knew that he had not attained perfection, that he had needed those around him to get the work done. To everyone who thinks they're standing on their own, well, I've got another story for you. You aren't. You cannot do it alone. First of all, Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And you need other Christians to help you do the work that God's called you to do. We need one another. And God pity the person who thinks they're on an island. Before the great missionary to India, William Carey, boarded the ship to sail, he was asked by some close friends if this was what he really wanted to do. And his reply was, and it showed the humility of his heart, he says, I will go down into the pit itself if you will hold the rope. If you will hold the rope. Now, let me confess to you this evening, I need each one of you to do what God has called me to do. I need your prayers. I need your support to be able to serve the Lord to the degree that He expects from me. And when you're in a position of total dependence on people, you realize how important they are in your life. God help us all to remember that we need one another very desperately. And that's a humble thing. That's a humbling thing. Every Christian should be thankful, should be committed, should be prayerful, should be surrendered, should be usable. Every Christian should be humbled. What a comfort it is when there are those who are helping and encouraging and supporting you. Number seven, every Christian should be fruitful. In verse 13, he says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. The key word there is I purpose. I purposed. Paul reminds them that he's interested in glorifying the Lord. He's been used of the Lord to bear fruit all over the known world. And Paul says he would like to travel to Rome so that he could get some fruit there as well. Now he wasn't looking for apples and oranges. But he was looking for some fruit. And it wasn't necessarily just people being saved. That's an important fruit that 
that uh, God gives. He might have some fruit among you. These people were already saved. He wants to uh, have some fruit among them. And even among the other Gentiles, those who perhaps were not saved. His desire was not to build himself up, but to glorify the Lord. You notice there it says, but was let hitherto. That was, uh, it says, I've been prevented so far. I haven't been able to get to you. That's what uh, the old English word there, let, means. But when the scriptures speak of spiritual fruit, there are usually one of three things that come to mind. Three things in mind here. One is attitudes. There's the idea of attitudes that should be present in the life of every Christian. These attitudes are represented by the ninefold description of the fruit of the Spirit. Found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. It's an attitude spoken of there. Or some attitudes, love and joy and peace and so forth. And they're the fruit of the Spirit. There's also the idea of activity. When a believer lives for the Lord, there should be activity in that life, and fruit will be born for the glory of the Lord. I think there are three ways activity translate into fruit, and they're holy living. Romans 6.22 says, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness. That's the words that are used there. Fruit unto holiness and the end, ever, the end everlasting life. And so the activity there is holy living, right living. And then there's the fruit of praise. In Hebrews 13 and verse 15, By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. There should be fruit of our lips here, is giving praise to God. Then there's the fruit of giving, activity of giving, I should say. Philippians 4, 16 and 17. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. There were those who were faithfully giving to the work and the ministry that Paul had. Those are some of the activities that represent spiritual fruit. Holy living, praise, and giving. And of course, then, the third one is addition. The third way fruit is manifested in the life of a believer, and that is in the area of addition. This refers to the addition of souls into the kingdom of heaven. Acts 16.5 says, And so were the churches established in the faith and increased, that's addition, in number. Increased in number daily. That, that is fruit that Paul was after. That was the fruit he was after. He wanted to go to Rome. He did want to win some souls to Jesus for the glory of the Lord. Now, did he see fruit? Well, years later when he wrote to the Philippians, where did he write from? Rome. But it was in a Roman prison. And he was able to praise God for fruit even among the members of Caesar's household. Those are the men that were guarding him when he was in prison. 
and he was able to preach to them every day, and he was able to give them a gospel, and some came to Christ. Whether the fruit you bear for the Lord is manifested in your attitudes, your activity, or in the addition of souls to the kingdom of heaven, you need to know that you, your fruit glorifies God like nothing else can. John 15 and verse 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. How does the Christian go about bearing fruit? Well, John 15 You have to study that out. Verses 1 through 8 talks about abiding in the vine. If you want to be fruitful, you've got to abide. Abide in the vine. So every Christian should be thankful, should be committed, should be prayerful, should be surrendered, should be usable, should be humble, should be fruitful. Number 8, every Christian should be obligated. Verse 14 He says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. He says, I owe. Now, as Paul wrote to the Roman Christians, he felt a deep debt to those who needed to hear the gospel message. And the debt that Paul felt is seen in every area of his life. In regard to the uh, the loss, Paul had to... Uh, this to say in Romans chapter 9 and verse 3, he said, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Here's a man who was driven. How else could he endure the things that he endured for the cause of Christ? Why did Paul do the things that he did? Because he felt he was a debtor to every person in the world. He felt a great need to share the gospel message with them. And he could have sung with us tonight, I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story. May I remind you this evening that you and I are indebted as well. We aren't in debt to God for the gift of salvation was a perfect gift and it was free. So we're not in debt to him. We are, however, indebted to those who are perishing about us. We hold in our hands the answer to the problem of sin for them. We hold in our hands the remedy for the disease that is killing them. Every believer in this room tonight needs to remember that we owe a debt to every person who lives around us. And so how do I discharge this debt? The only way is for me to tell the world about Jesus. Every Christian should be thankful, should be committed, should be prayerful, surrendered, usable, humble, fruitful, obligated. And number nine, every Christian should be eager. He says, I go. In verse 15, he says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. He says, I thank, I serve, I pray, I come, I long, I comfort, I purpose, I owe, I go. Paul closes the section. He tells the Romans that he's ready to go. He's ready to come to to, to uh, preach in Rome. The word ready there uh, means eager. Paul's saying, I can't wait until I get to Rome so I can preach the gospel there. In other words, Paul is excited about his call and his commission. 
He's an excited Christian. May I say this evening that every Christian should be eager about serving the Lord. Isn't it true that we often lack the air of excitement when it comes to the Lord's work? I mean, we really get into things of the flesh that we like. And I might stop preaching here and go to meddling. But we get excited about hunting, don't we? Fishing. Racing. Should I say football? Or anything else that we could name tonight? But when it comes to witnessing, where are the people who are lining up to go into the world and share the gospel? Where are those who get excited about uh, when it gets close to church time? Where are those who are who would rather miss out on anything that they had to miss out on except when God is doing something? We need believers in this day who are excited about the things of God. Oh, that God would cause the reality of what we are involved in from uh, each day. Oh, that we would see that this business is real and that the work is, that's going to be accomplished is eternal. I wonder this evening, would you describe your life as one lived in eager anticipation of doing God's will? If not... And if you know the Lord is your Savior, maybe there are some changes that need to be made. Maybe you're not thankful. Maybe you're not as committed as you ought to be. Maybe you're not as prayerful or surrendered or usable or humble or fruitful or obligated. You're not eager. You see, the word eager implies a sense of urgency. Paul knows that he only has a limited time to carry out the Lord's work in his life. He knows that uh, there are those who need to hear the gospel, and he's running out of time. We're running out of time. Paul is saying he must get to Rome so that he can preach the soul-saving gospel to those who are held in sin's captivity. And listen, we need that same urgency about our service for the Lord. We need to realize that one day soon our lives will end. It doesn't matter who you are tonight, whether you're young or you're old. One day soon your life could certainly come to an end. And then it's going to be too late to work for the Lord. Work for the night is coming. Work when you cannot work anymore. Someday it's going to be too late to bear fruit for His glory. If you were to work, then we must do it now. Because now is the only time we have. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 4 and verse 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look unto the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. I wonder, where is our our urgency, our eagerness tonight? I think it's safe to say that Paul represents what every Christian should be. I wonder tonight if you've taken the time to examine your own life. If so, are there areas where you need to move closer to the Lord's will? 
Are there areas where you need to be surrendered? Are there motives that need to be addressed? Is there a lack of eagerness? Is there a lack of urgency that needs to be confessed and dealt with? Listen, if there's a spiritual need this evening, you need to do business with God. He and He alone can and will meet your need tonight. Every Christian should be thankful, committed, prayerful, surrendered, usable, humble, fruitful, obligated, and eager. That's what God would have us to learn from the Apostle Paul, I believe, tonight. Let's bow our heads in prayer.